Hey, I'm Jamie Neal, host of 360 Yourself. In 2014, I had a breakdown and was hospitalized. Too much work, too much anxiety, too much coffee, not enough self-care and not enough balance. In the hospital, laying over my thoughts, I had to rethink my entire life. The doctor said I was overworked and my body gave up. Now, I'm not gonna say it wasn't scary, but it was a turning point for me. From there, I started to rebuild myself reading hundreds of self-help books and questioning everything from why do we have triggers? What is ego? What is persistence and motivation? What is manifesting? And what is identity? Many years later, someone recommended that I start a podcast. I was always curious about how others lead their lives. And thus, 360 Yourself was born, interviewing incredible minds on how they understand themselves and how they utilize knowledge and awareness to set out into their space. 360 Yourself is a dedicated podcast meeting brilliant and curious minds and looking at the world around them. I speak to artists, musicians, sports athletes, authors, CEOs, and experts in human behaviors, released every Sunday at 12 o'clock. I ask questions about their mindset, journey, values, ethos, to fully understand how each of their minds work and process information. How can we become more aware of ourselves to grow to the ultimate person we know we can be? How do you 360 yourself to 360 the world around you? If you do enjoy our episodes that you're listening to and certain themes and topics ignite within you, please visit our Instagram page at 360 underscore yourself to tell us how you're growing and learning. Or you can email us jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. That's jamie at 360yourself.co.uk. And I'll read out every episode at the end stories and comments from you, the audience, the 360 years. Thank you, and remember to 360 yourself. Hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm very well, very well indeed. Um, many people can't see this, but Nick is behind this beautiful um, brick wall, which I, lo- I love the colours. Um, I'm a massive fan of like this um, new build. In- like, I used to live in, um, in London, Mm-hmm. with uh in london bridge and i took uh, well this place took over this place called uh, the biscuit factory oh, yeah. and they and they turned it into new builds and i had this beautiful like open kind of warehousey vibe very flat but it had this beautiful kind of like uh brick wall and so it reminds me of that where you're where you're at now very good lovely mm. so certainly, certainly the same for me i like um not necessarily about old stuff, but I think, you know, recycling and looking after things and stuff like that. I mean, it just, uh, I'd much rather look at a brick wall than a, a plastered wall. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's about texture. My, my dad's also very similar. I think you just mentioned about like reusing stuff. My dad is like, is my, he's not, he's not a creative. He's a senior site construction manager. So he'd like yeah. manage buildings and stuff. But he has the most creative mind. Like he takes things and recycles them and makes them do something else in the garden. Like he's a garden whiz. And I always wondered like what he would do if he was actually like a creative director or he worked in creative arts. Because mm-hmm. his mind like takes something and then it re- he reuses it and he molds it into something else. And then you go into the garden next time, you're like, oh my God, there's like some hose pipes that have been turned into whatever. And I'm like, that's so creative. And I don't know how he, his mind works like that. Obviously, like if he was coming up with ideas for clients and stuff, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it's the same thing, but with his hands, he's very creative. And I think that's quite remarkable. 
Well, you're clearly not the same age as me, and I'm from that generation, like probably your father, which is all about make do and mend and recycle. And if you need if you need something, then make it or reinvent it or something like that, because that's the way it always was. So yeah, I think he, there's a lot of uh, he, creative he, instinct into not being able to just Google it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he he's very much he doesn't like throwing anything out. He never throws anything out. He reuses everything. Like he has like the um, he calls them his children, which is basically his the birds in in his in the back garden, and uh, he reuses like yogurt pots. You know, those, you know those little small yogurt pots that you drink. And he uses it for some random reason to feed the birds or whatever. Like he never ever gets rid of anything. And I find it really interesting what he's going to come up with next. Like a like a, a mad inventor. I think that's sort of, you know, part of a lot of things about individuals and their creativity and stuff like that. I mean, my grandchildren and my daughter and my son and their families, they sort of sometimes describe me as the skip hunter. Is is I would never walk past the skip without having a look inside. My dad's like that as well. Just in case there might be a bit of old wood, I could turn into something else, or mm. you know, why throw it away when I could make something from that? But that can become a little bit sort of OCD and a little bit obsessive. So you need to keep it in balance so you don't become completely crazy about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. You know, we can all learn from each other, can't we? I hope he's listening to this because um, he also does this another thing where he overbuys if it's really cheap. So like he yeah. does a good deal. So like if there's like milk, he'll buy like eight what eight cartons of milk or whatever it is, or he'll buy like I don't know packets of chips if they're like I don't know thirty p, and he'll just like buy a load of them. And then my mum goes into the fridge and just like goes what is all this it's always full but it's all just like it's random things that he's picked up along the way well i suppose it's we have been a little bit reminded over the last few years uh you know mentioning the obvious pandemic period you know so if your father's picked up a really great deal on toilet rolls three years ago you know he's like happy days isn't it oh, my- so it's sort of like it's that sort of mindset of you know if it's something i'm going to use and i can keep it you know like tins of stuff or things i use every day or i could pick that piece then when when you get faced with some challenges it's amazing how how much you can adapt and change if you've got that particular mindset about stuff you know Mm, and i think i think uh, i I mean i talk to a lot of people about mindset i mean my my whole life is talk, is talking about people's mindset and perspective. And I think it's uh, that, that type of mindset about adapting mm-hmm. people. Some people just don't want to do it. They just don't want to do the work in themselves. They don't want to adapt to the environment. And, uh, and I, and I, I put this quote on, uh, on LinkedIn recently and I was like, the world change, the world does change. So you, mm-hmm. so you have to, you have to change with the world. You cannot change if you don't want to, but then you won't really progress any further and you'll just kind of be left behind. So you have to be open for change because that's the whole point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. going, so, so I cut you off before you, before we go on, I, I, I'd love to know, I mean, we briefly chatting before we started the zoom and you, you quickly went through like your career highlights. And I was like, this is fascinating what you've done. So just take me back to 
exactly what how you got into where you are now because I'm, i mean i'm fascinated with what a sport um sleep coach is but i'd love to know how it how you got here well that could be a, a a really long answer to your question but i'll try to you know give it that version i think one thing that happened in 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 the last um six or seven years is i got asked to write a book about my life and i wasn't planning to do that um, but because of my journey, that's what I was asked to do by Penguin Random House, a big publisher. And what that did is sort of, I had to look back on my journey. And I've been talking about that for a long time over the last few years because of the success of the book. And back then, you know, when you start to reflect on your life and there was no phones and cameras and things around. So the way you sort of recorded things was through memory. So you kind of, you have to get pushed back to it. But basically, I just absolutely love sports. Um, I would put that beyond lessons at school. Um, I wasn't non-academic, but it was always like, well, I'll do the lessons after I've done the sport. Um, I wasn't really trying to aspire to be a professional athlete. I just, I just liked the physical aspect and the competitive of sport rather than lessons and education and studying. Um, that journey didn't quite work out for me. I, you know, cricket to football to, I ended up being a golfer for five years, um, trying to get into that world, but, you know, a totally different world back in the late seventies, early eighties. So I married my childhood sweetheart. Um, she was part of a family business in furniture. So I started working in a furniture shop. So one minute I'm a professional golfer, an aspiring professional golfer. And then the next minute I'm working in a furniture shop. The next minute we've got a house and a mortgage. And the next minute she's pregnant. And the next minute I'm going to become a father and I've got responsibilities. So there was people coming into this furniture industry who had nice cars. They were called representatives. And I thought, well, that's a better job because it's a little bit more independent. I'm not stuck in a shop. But it had no relationship with me as I thought then about what I wanted to do for my career. It just sort of evolved in front of me. Uh-huh. So I became a sales representative for a, a big company called Slumberland who made sleeping products. And whilst I got into that, all my sort of coaching instincts as a a professional independent sports person started to come through. And I immediately saw that this particular job I was doing, there's a better way of doing it. And so I became a little bit of a maverick in the company because everybody was telling me to do it like this, but I thought there's a better way of doing it. What, now, what, cut, what, what were they trying to tell you to do? What, what, they were where? trying to tell me to do eight calls a day to you know, go to every retailer to, to try and sell your stuff and make things up and, and come up with offers and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And what I realized was it was about the relationship with all the people involved in those retail stores. Of course. And the staff who were on the shop floor who made the decisions about what somebody did and what somebody didn't. So I spent all my time sort of like coaching those retail salespeople and so rather than going to see the buyer i went to see the people on the shop floor now a lot of area representatives were told not to do that 
because it's the buyer who writes the order out. Yeah. So I was always questioned, like, you've only done two calls today instead of eight. I said, yeah, but I spent half a day with this company and half a day with that company on the shop floor with the staff. Well, wait, did you get any orders? No. Did you see the buyer? No. And strangely, that whole process over a short period of time, I had the the largest turnover increase on my area than anybody else has ever done. So it became not necessarily about the product. It was about the relationship between me and those people, you know, how you care for them, what you think about. You know, I was I would I would write them a birthday card. Yeah. So the, so those you know, so the people on the shop floor would then go back to the buyer and say something about the the progress that you've been doing. Is that how it worked? Well, it, it, it was more to do that they, you know, they had me in their mind more than anybody else. So when 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 you come walking into the shop and you you know you want to buy something, and they could influence what you're doing, right? You know, this one's better than that one or da, da, da. Yeah. So what they did is they kind of like, well, if I influence you to buy this product, then that means I can tell Nick next week that I sold three of his products and he's going to be really pleased. And the customer gets a good service and da, da, da. So it's kind of like their relationship with customer service was change slightly from just buy anything you want i don't care to actually trying to form a relationship journey mm. in that i would like to do that for the customer but also knowing that that customer is going to get the right thing but mm. also knowing that nick cares mm. so if there's a problem with this sale in any way shape or form i know i can rely on nick to be a very empathetic person to sort it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about commission sales and you talk about all sorts and influencers and all that sort of stuff. And it's still going on today, isn't it? It's who you trust, why you're going down that pathway or why you're being influenced by that particular person. And it's whether you can actually trust that process um, is, a, is a key factor in even today. Mm, interesting so then how did so i I, was, I can kind of pick, pinpoint then how this was like a realization for you because you were actually coaching these people rather than just like being a sales person you were doing mm-hmm. both at the same time so then yeah. how did that lead you on to your next path then well the company couldn't ignore the fact that i had a slightly different approach which they they found complicated when you ever try to be a disruptor, not intentionally, but you just are, then they suddenly realized that I could generate more revenue, more turnover, more profitable. The, the clients seem to have a much better relationship on my patch with the company. So they fast-tracked me into being their international sales and marketing director to lead everything else that's going on and change their, you know, using that word again, to change their mindset. And unfortunately at the time, the sort of managing director and company were able to make that adjustment and adapt. So they put me in charge, which is a, you know, I wasn't qualified in sales and marketing. I wasn't, 
got the degrees and anything else, but it was just a little bit of logic, a little bit of common sense, a little bit about that independent nature of being an elite sports person. You know, you, you have to have that drive and that enthusiasm to train and to commit and to fight through the challenges that you're going to be faced with because it's not always going to be good. But don't give up at that step because that's just a step. Mm. It's the next step that's going to do it. Now, I didn't have any of that in my mind. You know, I think I, I might sound like I did, but I didn't. It was just happening. And when I got in charge of the company, um, I was able to, because it was a big brand, I was able to start exploring new things because the company was supposed to be an innovative leader. It was supposed to be showing the rest of the industry where to go. So it was just little things. That we're all in the world of sleep and we're all making sleeping products and everybody sleeps and it's so important, yada, yada, yada. But we haven't even got an organization called a, a sleep council or a, a sleep organization. There's just no direction. It's all just random people saying whatever they like. So I got together a couple of people from the industry and we set up the first sleep council in the UK. And I was the chairman of that. That started to try and get rid of some of the myths, misunderstandings about sleep and sleeping products. And then it just, you know, I'd spent so much time into it, put a lot of effort into it. But what was still underpinning it was that sleep was taken for granted. It was not a performance criteria. Everybody just deep dives into isolated solutions to try and help it. No educational process. And I'd listened to so many people and could not even, not one of them could give me a definitive guide. It was just wake up in the morning and when there's only so many hours left, try and have a good night's sleep. And if you don't get your eight hours, you're probably going to die early. You know, it's just like nuts. Mm -hmm. How do you... So, I sort of decided I had enough of that. There was lots of, um, we, we became a very large group across Europe. So I got exposed to all the cultural differences of all the different companies that were under the, the banner of the Slumland Group. And it was just a, a journey of like, do I want to keep doing this every year? Which was like trying to tell everybody how important it is, but not actually being able to help them. Mm -hmm or define it for them because of the constraints of the industry around me. So that's why I just thought, ah, time to move on, do something else, do something different. So I decided to set up my own business and I decided to create a business that would combine products and my own interpretations of what I'd learned around sleep and bring those two things together. So I handed in my notice and started my, you know, 12 months director's contract where you basically spend 12 months twiddling your thumbs while you employ people to replace you and things like that. But it just so happened that the local football club called Oldham Athletic, anybody listen to this, it's in the northwest, it's west of Manchester, it's a little sleepy town, my UK office was there. An Oldham Athletic came knocking on the door saying, would I sponsor their shirts? And that's putting the name of the company on the football shirt. Uh -huh. uh, well, 
and we're talking mid 90s here now and that was very unusual and but i sort of went well we're a big employer in the area there's lots of factory workers who actually that's their football team their season ticket holders they wear the oldham shirts so if i put their company's name on the shirts of their local football club that'll make them feel great and they'll be really proud of that so i just thought it makes no commercial sense whatsoever right but it's a really great thing for the factory for all the people who work there every day of the week that their local team's got their company's name on the front. Mm -hmm. And so when they buy their next Oldham shirt, it's going to have the company's name on it. Yeah. The, the bit that I didn't understand was in those days, putting Slumberland, which is a bed company for the sake of argument, a sleep company, on the front of a football shirt, the media just found that completely fascinating because it's all about sleep and going to sleep. So they they just created loads of visuals like all the football team fast asleep in sleeping bags in the centre of the pitch or in the goal or the goalkeeper falling asleep while somebody's taking a penalty. Yeah, yeah. They just found it... Hilarious. Just balmy, right? But never mind the workforce, because I signed the cheque to sponsor the shirts to help the local football club because it is all about community uh-huh. and it used to be and probably still should be is that I got invited along to some football things uh-huh. and I didn't realise at the time being an Aston Villa fan and your parents are from Birmingham so you know exactly what that's all about yeah 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 <laughs> so, as an Aston Villa fan, I've got no interest in Manchester football teams. But there was only Manchester United at the time. And what they were doing is they would use the local clubs, like Berry is in the Northwest, and Oldham, to develop young players mm-hmm. for Manchester United. Yeah. And I didn't know that. So I went along to particular events, and there is Alex Ferguson in the room. And... This is now sort of, you know, anybody who knows about football, the class of 92 um, was pretty much homegrown British players from David Beckham, Paul Scholes, the Neville brothers, Nicky Butt, you know, Ryan Giggs, the, the list goes on. And, and a lot of those players have been brought out of those clubs. So I happen to be standing in a room, drinking a glass of wine. Oh, and by the way, this is Nick, who signed the cheque to sponsor our shirts. And he was, he just, we just started a conversation. And it was, it was just a bit strange for me to be talking to somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And when they ask you what you do, you try to explain it. You know, I'm a director of this company called Slumberland and da, 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 da. And, uh, and then da, da, da. And then he said, like, I said, do you do anything about sleep and recovery? You know, trying to make conversation uh-huh. in the world of sports. He said, nothing. Okay. So he went back to the club and asked all the coaches, do we do anything about this massive 30% of every player's day called sleeping? 
And they went, no. I said, well, why not? There must be something in there because we train them and we do everything for them in so many different ways while they're with us. But we don't take any interest in what they do when they're away from the club. Uh. Now, if it had been any other club, any other manager, that conversation would have stopped with that glass of wine. But he was at the start of thinking about maybe there's other dimensions about human performance. Uh. Maybe there's other things that we can look at. Maybe there's all sorts of stuff. And this is way before sports science data collection, GPS, and even phones, to be honest, you know, uh, or, or at least being able to text an email or a camera. So I was asked to go in and talk to the coaches. Why he did that, I don't know. Um, I just said yes. So the first, the first coach I spoke to was a guy called Dave Fever, who was their physio. Uh-huh. And he became interested from the, the product side of my competence, mattresses and pillows and stuff like that, uh, because he had a player who had severe and constant back issues. And they were considering getting big surgery. They were considering changing things around the training ground and their coaches, investing lots of money, trying to wrap him in cotton wool. So he just plays, he doesn't train. Uh-huh. And so he just said, well, take a look at him because I'm rehabilitating him all the time. But when he leaves me, he's debilitating himself, jumping in his Ferrari, laid back like that. What mattress is he on? What about his wife? What about his bedroom? What about this? What about that? I know nothing about that. But all I know is I'm constantly rehabilitating him every time he leaves me. So... I was asked to go and have a look at what he does. And so I went into that player's world and started to see a number of things that I knew I'd been, I'd learned were counterproductive to recovery, particularly around what he was sleeping on and the kind of pillow he was using and his height and his weight and his shape and his partner and the temperature of the room and blackout and all sorts of stuff. So I just came back to the physio and said, if I was you, I would do this and this and this and this and change it. So he said, let's do it. So whilst it didn't solve his back problem, because that's a serious issue, Uh what it did is it made it at least 50% better. Uh A massive shift in the way the player felt the amount of rehabilitation that the physio had to do. He could then start training a little bit. His wife found it really beneficial, which also had an impact on the player because they sleep together Uh in a recovery sense. So the little indications started to, like the little seeds started to sprout. Uh And then they asked me to be at the club and ask players to come along and just, Talk to me. So it's not Alex Ferguson. It's not the physio. You just go and talk to Nick. And I remember I was I was in the club. I was in the players' lounge. Uh, it was, uh, you know, midday after a training session. 
the players were advised to just come and have a chat to Nick uh -huh. about recovery and sleep and mattresses and things. And the only person who turned up was Ryan Giggs. And he turned up and we had a bit of a chat. And he was at that time of, he was thinking about meditation. He was thinking about how he can keep himself going, his nutrition and all sorts of things. So he was, he was very much out of the box at that particular time. So anything that he he wanted to get hold of that might improve the longevity of his career, he was up for it. Mm. So, so that was so as soon as he started getting interested, and I went to his house and we did some stuff and everything else. Then, like most things, everybody else started yeah. to follow. Uh, and a lot of those players at that time. So one thing that was, you know, it's quite commonplace now, but Alex, Alex Ferguson decided he was going to have double up training sessions before in pre-season. So train in the morning and in the afternoon, which was only training in the morning. And, and lots of things, everybody was asking, what should we do in between training sessions? Because they'll just play ping pong or fall asleep on the sofa or, you know, they'll have a bit of lunch and just pass out because they normally go home. So we just decided to strip a room out in the training ground and put some lounges and stuff in there and just go, go in there and just chill out. Don't try to do anything. But it's highly likely that you might get a recovery period, like a little micro sleep or something like that. Don't mm. worry about it. Just let it happen, right? And that might help you in the afternoon training session because it's a it's a recovery thing. And like I said before, he had a, a great influence over the players. Mm. Couldn't tell them what to do, but he had an influence over them. So the first you know, the first week, there was three players in there. The second week, there was six. The third week, there was eight. And what started to happen is they started to realise, along with other things like chronotypes, which is another conversation, mm. which is about these little genetic twists that make somebody a morning person or a nighttime person, right? The owls and the larks. And we yeah. all know we've got it. We camouflage it and ignore it. But one thing I just looked at and said, well, I've just noticed, and I don't even ask for ask them, that that player, that player, that player, that player, that player, they're all nighttime chronosites. That one, that one, and that one, including you, Alex, are morning chronosites. Mm. Okay. So everybody has to come in and train in the morning. You only normally look at all the tracking stuff in the morning uh -huh. and there's a number of players here who don't get recognized because their data is not as good as those uh -huh. well now you're training in the afternoon let's just watch the shift between those five in the morning and those five in the afternoon yeah and those five yeah and suddenly it started oh wow why haven't we done this earlier because we can now see that certain players are just a little bit more alert, a little bit more aware. Uh. They seem to be making decisions that are a little bit better. They can run between two points just a little bit quicker than the morning. Uh. 
Yeah, for sure. Suddenly a sort of performance factor started to creep in. And that's, it's sort of like a set of, a set of circumstances that, that just happened in front of me. But they happen in front of all of us. It's whether we can see it or not. Indeed, indeed. And so the one thing I love to do is I always ask my guests like a gift back. What is the one thing that you would give back to anyone listening that they might want to go away and think about? Maybe what mattress they're on, how they, what are they a morning person, afternoon person? What would be something that you'd give back to them? There's en- endless things, but I think the, the one the one thing that has certainly become far more apparent over the last few years and probably will continue for the next few years, and I won't state the reasons why that's the case, worrying about sleep is its biggest disruptor, right? Uh-huh. And the one thing that we know in elite sport is rather than thinking of sleep as this, this end-of-the-day health pillar, uh-uh. if you make it... Think about it as human recovery performance, right? Uh-huh. Thinking about you are a human, right? With the brain and bodily functions. You are naturally completely synchronized with the sun going around our planet, which is called circadian rhythms. Yeah. That's what triggers plants and animals and the whole world to come to life. Uh-huh. Sun up, midday, sunset, rolling 24 hours will never change. Neither will us as human beings we develop. But the more desynchronized you're with that process, the more you have to keep adapting, the more you will struggle with this very natural recovery process. The one thing you should do is get, I've done it with some people the last couple of years, but even recently, is go onto an app store, download what's called a free Lux light meter, Lux L-U-X, whether you're Android or iOS. Download a free light meter onto your device, right? Uh And it's not scientific, but just for the first time, probably for anybody, get a relationship with light. Um, you yeah. can tap in your browser, circadian rhythms, this natural human. Re- yeah. Why do we all get so chilled out if we go camping or sit by a river or sit in the mountains or sit by a bench or just yeah. be outside? Why, why does everything just feel a little bit more, you know, easier to manage? Because we're a little bit more synchronized with this yeah. natural process. So yeah. you're a brain, your bodily functions. You might be called Nick, but that's just the name. This yeah. is a thing, right? Yeah. So you get that lux meter because everybody gets shouted about, you know, blue light's bad for you, wear blue blockers, shut your tech down at night because that's going to keep you away. Yeah, because it's one of those little things that we should know more about, it, how it synchronizes us. And we love to be outside and all that sort of stuff. But... You start hearing oh, blue lights, bad for you, shut your tech down, wear blue blockers and all sorts of things. The reality is if you just tap circadian rhythms in your browser and have a little look, there's a thing called blue light. It's part of daylight, the energy wave. It triggers a wonderful hormone called serotonin in your brain to tell your brain to unsuppress everything and make you fully functional. Right? So that's what blue light does. It's an amazing free source of energy to create all the right things to make you function. When you take blue light away, you produce melatonin. And melatonin tells the brain to suppress everything. So in any 24 hours, there is a relationship with the four phases of the day, 
which is sunrise, midday, sunset, dark, light, dark, and temperature shifts. Now, if you look at it outside on any normal day, it could be 70, 80,000 lux. Lux is the way you measure light, lumens, right? And that's this wonderful stuff that makes you function in your best way you possibly could. Now, as an average human inside of like 70, 80,000 lux outside, your average exposure might be around 10,000 lux between the first two phases of the day, right? So about an average of 10,000 because you're in 80,000. So that means you're probably going to need to be every hour, have an average of about an exposure of about 1,000 lux, right, to get that balance. Uh -huh. So without making that too scientific, the quick thing you do is go onto the App Store, whether it's iOS or Android, look for a free Lux light meter, L-U-X, download it onto your device. It'll use the camera, and it'll show you a little dial. So everywhere you and your phone goes, it'll give you a light reading. Right? So if I'm standing outside, it could be 79,000 Lux. If I'm standing in, inside the other side of that window, it could be 3,000 Lux. If I'm standing in the kitchen, it could be 150 Lux. I'm sat in my office. Where I can see you right now, I bet it's not even 200 Lux mm -hmm. where you're sat right now, okay? So what you suddenly get is everywhere in your world, from the toilet to the bedroom, to everywhere you go, to the gym, to the office, to this, to that, the car, the tube, the train, when you walk the dog, whatever it is, you suddenly get a relationship with how much light is around you, and particularly inside. And then you get a very quick relationship with about if you spend any amount of time in an area like where I'm sat right now, it looks quite bright. You like the brick wall in the background. You know, the daylight's out there. It's a lovely sunny day. Uh -huh. But if I spend any time in this space where I am, the amount of light I'm being exposed to is creating a melatonin suppressing attitude for my brain. Uh -huh. So my brain is being told to suppress. I'm trying to be active on your podcast and be interesting you know, and not boring. Uh -huh. Actually, my brain is being told to suppress. But if I just go near the window for two minutes, where it's like 5,000 lux, uh -huh. I get a recharge, uh -huh. a reset. If I just step outside for two minutes, I get a reset. So all I'm very conscious of, that if I want to function at my best, if I want to get more consistent, sustainable levels of recovery. If I want to not waste valuable time sleeping without benefits, is stop thinking about sleeping and thinking about everything you do from the point of wake to when you next want to recover and give your brain the best possible chance to reveal that when you're out of control. Mm. When you enter a sleep state, your brain takes control. And if you've been pushing it too far in all different directions and not giving it some rhythm, recovery rhythm, then you'll spend eight hours waking up in the middle of the night, waking up too early, going to the toilet too often and feeling unrefreshed mm. when you start your day. It's because everything you did from the point of wake is putting it under pressure. So a great little trick 
and it's an absolute it'll change your life and yeah. it's not about going outside all the time we can't do that but what i do know is my whole approach and everything i coach to everybody's approach is let's cut this podcast short uh make it 40 minutes let's have a five minute break and let's just nip by the window you know mm. Jamie, or just step outside for two minutes or put a lamp on you know yeah. recreate it yeah the right level just do that for five minutes and the next section of our podcast will be fine if we keep going and i'm doing this for a reason yeah i'll just keep re-emphasizing waffling not getting to the point and if we keep going, it'll just get worse, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a wonderful little thing. You get a little light meter on the phone, wander around everywhere, and you just go, do you know what? I spend most of my life in like 200 lux. I don't even have to know what that means. But when I step outside with the phone, it's like 100,000 lux. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? And I'm going, that's a massive, massive difference. And I do know that being outside is very refreshing. Yeah. I do know being inside a lot makes me sort of feel, ooh, ooh. Mm. and maybe it's that. And once you get that, yeah, then your whole life will turn around. Absolute game yeah. changer. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you very much for coming on 360 yourself. You have been 360. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm sure thank everyone you. will come away with this podcast understanding more about how important sleep is, how important sunlight is. Oh, of course, everyone knows that sun is really important so i want to say thank you very much for coming on 360 yourself thank you very much thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our awesome guests please subscribe to our podcast to access all our amazing episodes we are released every sunday at 12 o'clock we are available on all listening platforms spotify pocket cast google podcast and apple podcasts you can also find us on instagram for more discussions education and inspiration at 360 underscore yourself the host that's me, Jamie Neal, on Instagram at Jamie Neal JM. If you do enjoy our, our episodes that you're listening to and certain themes and topics ignite within you, please email jamie at 360.co.uk and I'll read out at the end of each episode stories and comments from you, the audience, the 360ers. And remember to 360 yourself. <laughs>